Hey there, Room One. Welcome to 2023. This is exciting. Um, I love the start of the new year. It looks like we have some people logging in, so I'll go ahead and throw out there if anybody wants any coaching, um, go ahead and raise your hand. We are ready to rock and roll. If you are new here, all you have to do is raise your hand or um, you can put in the chat. All righty, here we go. Can you try talking? So, and then the other thing is, is I would love it if somebody would come on and then give us a really good example so that we could show Sun kind of what this is all about. So, Sun, I'm going to go ahead and um, lower your hand and then disable your talking. And then we have a new request here, ice cream. Love it. Gallery view. Um, did it work? Ice cream? There we go. Hi. Hi. It work? It's working. Awesome. I haven't been on in a while, but I made it tonight, and since sun is new, I was I don't have anything super pressing, but I was like, certainly I can come up with some good example to talk through. Hey, let's do keep it. Us talking, please go for it. Thank you. All right. So I had a very busy December, like a lot of people with elective specialties, where I was you know working too many hours and overwhelmed. And then this week things are quiet and it's funny how the mind does weird things when things are quiet. So I catch Mm -hmm. myself like tomorrow I have quote too few cases and I find myself (laughs) stressing out that about that. Whereas I was just complaining a couple weeks ago about being too busy and wanting free time. And so I know that that sort of, um, it's really, it's a scarcity thing that I will always go back to needing to work on over and over again. Okay. This is kind of interesting and you're right. Like we always want what we don't have. So if we're busy, we want to be slow. And if we're slow, we want to be busy. Um, and that, you know, brings about all kinds of discomfort. And then, but the use of the word scarcity is really interesting. And so I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit more backstory about what that actually means to you. Sure. Um, I would say that just even when I know, like in on there's, when there's one part of me that knows I want the extra free time, mm-hmm. um, or flexibility, when I have a lighter day, I feel like there's not enough. So it, it's very much a like a yearning desire for, well, well, why aren't, why isn't my schedule full? Why, why don't I have more cases scheduled? And it brings up thoughts of really like insufficiency or inadequacy or hmm. not, not all the time, obviously, like all yeah. of us, I'm layered and complex, but I think it's worth diving into those thoughts because they are a recurring theme for me. Yeah, this is good. Okay, cool. So what we'll do is we have an opportunity to set up the model and that way, anybody who's new, we've got some more people that have logged on. Um, Pardon the sound effects here. Okay. Let's see. Is this creating a bad glare? Ooh, is that too dark? Looks fine to me. Okay, good. Okay. So we're going to just set up the model. Now, just as like a refresher, the model is an awareness tool. The model itself doesn't really solve any problems, really. It's really just something that it helps us kind of see what's going on. Because the human brain has 70,000 thoughts a day. And the purpose of the human brain is to make sense of the environment to keep you safe. So it's processing information from the environment, whether that's your internal environment or your external environment. It's making meaning out of that to keep you safe. That's it. So in the circumstance line, which is our C lane at the top, is kind of where we want to put the data of this issue that we're discussing. So what 
ice cream mentioned was that last week when it was December, it was super, super busy. And so like, let's make that more data driven. Can you tell us like how many cases in a week would that have been? Yeah. So I, um, right before the holidays, I took last week off, but right before the holidays, I did 16 cases in a week. Okay. Was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So pre-holiday was 16 cases per week. And then now post-holiday, what is it? I have seven. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really fine, but I only have three tomorrow. And so my brain is. (laughs) I love you so much. Oh, gosh, I just love everybody so much because this is what we do. (laughs) Yes. All right. So this is so important because now it's like your brain is telling a story about this. And that story is I am not I don't have enough cases this week. Yes. Okay. so what is the deeper meaning there? Like, I don't have enough cases. So what? Like, who cares if you don't have enough cases? Like, what's the deeper meaning of that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in the following the negative model, Mm -hmm. the ones that cause me distress, the deeper meaning is I, people don't want to see me or I'm not Mm. succeeding. I'm not valuable. Yeah. So let's just pick one just for this purpose. Which one do you think it is? Um, it's not a test. We can pick any of them. Right. Right. Exactly. That's because they're all kind of intertwined. That's yeah. the hard. Um, I would say probably something along the lines of I'm not enough. Yeah. And when you think that thought, how do you feel? Discouraged. So for the for those of you learning the model, our circumstances or the data outside that our brain is processing to give meaning to, ultimately to create a sense of safety. So when when ice cream is faced with the circumstance of having seven cases this week, she's making that mean she's not enough. Even though like there can be some superficial thoughts that are like, um, oh, that's not busy. I need to be busier. Like we need to, we want to know, like, what are we making it mean about us? And usually it boils down to some form of not being enough. And so this is a really typical theme that comes up over and over again. Um, So the circumstance will trigger you to have thoughts. Our thoughts then create our feelings in the body. And the feeling that it creates is this feeling of discouraged. And so if we, if we pressed ice cream about what that feels like, she could probably, tell us about how that feels in her body. And that feeling could be intertwined with other feelings of um, like low self-worth type feelings. We don't need to kind of go down that rabbit hole. But the point is, is that your thought creates a feeling and the feeling is actually something experienced in the body. And then the feeling is really important because it's signaling something and then it will drive you to do something. So our feelings drive our action. So the next thing is, is the action line, the A line. So when you feel discouraged, what do you do? Yeah, I think when I stay in those thoughts, I tend to either micromanage and try to fix it like out of a, like a rabbit spinning a wheel type energy. Yeah. Kind of needy. Yeah. Needy, neediness, try to open up extra clinic so that I could book more cases or, you know, um, try to do something to fix it. Or I just waste energy thinking about it instead of enjoying the time to go take care of myself, you know, do something else. I might, um, another bad sort of, if I'm in that, discouraged feeling I may not give as much like positive energy to people around me because I may be more like withdrawn in myself would be another action yeah okay great so 
what we do here then is we're listing out all the actions that being feeling discouraged drives somebody to do. And so the A-line is another way of thinking about it is it's like who you're being and what you're doing. So in this case, what ice cream is doing is micromanaging and kind of out of this like neediness, trying to get more cases, like open clinics, try to get more cases, try to fix this imaginary problem. And I'm saying imaginary because it's this thing exists in our brain. It's not really a problem to only have seven cases. She only thinks it's a problem. Um, And then another thing we do so commonly is we think. And in this case, thinking is a verb. The thought line like this, um, I'm not enough is a statement. It's like a communication in the brain that's a statement. So the thought itself is different than thinking, which is a verb in the action line. But it's really, really important to look at the thinking that we're doing in the action line and observe if it's shitty thinking, like doo-doo thoughts, or is it great, powerful thoughts? And in this case, it's probably doo-doo thoughts, like you don't work hard enough, you're not going to get enough RVUs. You don't hold, you don't pull your weight. So you tell us like, what is, what are those thoughts that you're thinking when you're doing that action? Yeah, I think those are good examples. Um, or just like, yeah, analyzing why, you know, what am I, what about my practice setup is not, why do I not have enough cases of this, you know, that can go to this, uh, fill up this day or, you know, yeah, over, over analyzing or thinking any, any of those examples you gave are true. Okay. So oftentimes what it is, is in that thinking as a verb, the statements that are coming out are judgments. They're usually us judging ourselves or beating ourselves up. They're questioning ourselves. Sometimes they're judging other people. Sometimes it's like gossiping in your brain. It's all, um, stuff like what how do I want to say this like low they're like low value thoughts they I like the gossiping in your brain that's good I've never heard yeah. that but I definitely do that yeah so but but all of this is like communication that we're having with ourselves so if you're you know imagine what a gossip um conversation with another person is like like that's like it's a low value conversation right it's kind of like absolutely icky kind of um I mean it's fun but it's kind of icky and it's sometimes not even true and like that's why we have so much judgment around gossip in our culture so the quality of a conversation of gossip is low whereas a quality of a conversation say where you're I don't know being strategic or planning something or whatever that's that's like a higher quality conversation so if we think about it like this is just how you're communicating with yourself during this thinking process. And that's really, really important because look what comes out of our communication. It's, it, it, it directs the entire trajectory of our experience. So um, I love kind of dialing into what we're thinking when we're thinking as a verb. I want to know what it is that we're thinking about because it's usually judgment, self-flagellation, you know, beating ourselves up, questioning ourselves, making ourselves the problem, which Mm. feels terrible. And then what all of that does, who we're being and what we're doing will then create a gigantic result, which is our lived experience for those moments of our life. Like that is actually what you're experiencing. So you're experiencing discouragement in your body and then you're being this person who's beating the crap out of herself and making herself the problem and micromanaging and grasping for these cases. And you end up basically proving to yourself, you're not enough. Like you prove you're the problem or that there even is a problem. Yeah. Create a problem when there's not necessarily a problem, I think is a helpful way to think about it for me. Yeah. So you prove to yourself there is a problem. Not only do you prove there's a problem, you're proving that you're at the heart of it. Yeah. Okay. And so most of the time now I have enough insight to see it when I start doing it. Yeah. Thankfully. 
which is which is very helpful. But it it's interesting that it's still in there, you know, and so yeah, so it will stop when you stop being a human. So when you morph into a form <laughs> of artificial intelligence, it'll probably stop. Okay. Sounds um, good. <laughs> humans, this is what we do. And so, okay, so this is a really great moment then, because we have like a lot of people that have signed on that um I think hopefully can benefit from this more tedious look at the model. So this gives us great awareness about what thoughts like this produce for your lived experience. And so then we know now that this result that you're living got created from this thinking. It didn't come from the circumstance line. It doesn't come from having seven cases. I look at that circumstance line and I'm like, oh man, I wish it was only five because I like to not work. (laughs) Um, so we could line up a hundred surgeons who would look at that and, and have a hundred different triggered thoughts from that circumstance. So we know it's not the circumstance that's causing the issue. It's our thinking about it that ca- causes the issue. And so this is also not a problem because it's just default. That's it. It's like a default program that's running. Mm. And that program as long as you have a human brain, will always be there. Because the purpose of your brain is to make sense of your environment and to keep you safe. So your your brain is like, there's danger if we don't have enough cases. There's danger. It's dangerous. So it wants to make you feel bad about it so you'll do something about it. It's like the most mm-hmm. efficient way, it thinks, to get you out of danger. That's called the motivational triad. It's just the way human brains work. We want to seek pleasure, avoid pain in the most efficient way possible. And your brain thinks that this is the fastest route. These pathways where this lives is in the oldest part of the brain where these pathways are so, so worn and connected. They're kind of amazing. And I love that we have them because if we didn't, we wouldn't exist. So it's fantastic that they're there. We just need to learn tools on how to turn them down. We're not, I don't think we'll ever turn them off or get rid of them, but uh, like not in our lifetime, maybe, maybe future species of humans will be able to evolve out of it. But um, for now, this is what we have. So it's not bad to have it, but what we want to do then is just have awareness that this is going on. And I just want to make a point, too, about when we're stuck in a model that's a default model that is a particularly stressful situation for us or a truly traumatic situation for us where our nervous system in the body is actually not regulated. So if you're noticing that your nervous system is activated, like if your heart rate's up, if you're breathing fast, if you're sweating, if you're um, having any of those sort of like sympathetic tone qualities in your body, then what we need to do is actually regulate that part of the nervous system to help your body feel safe. Once your body is safe and your, which means your sympathetic tone is kind of managed better and it's, um, you don't have to like go into a parasympathetic state or anything, but it's just like regulating that sympathetic tone then all of a sudden your brain is like, oh, the body is safe. I don't need to be acting like this now. And all these pathways up to the prefrontal cortex come online. And this is a critical, critical step because if your body is not regulated, then it's just like, oh, so hard to be like, I just need to think a better thought. I just need to think a better thought. It's like trying to nail a custard pie to the wall. You can't do it. Because I think that's a really... Beautiful point. I wanted to add for also just like sleep deprivation. Like even if I'm not in a sympathetic overdrive, if I'm just too tired, I know I can't think clearly. And then, yeah, that was a beautiful explanation though of how it's helpful to be reminded. Part of why I stay in room one is to be reminded of how normal (laughs) these thoughts are because it really is so powerful to know that we're all going through these same things, part of being humans and humans with this unique job that we have. 
Yeah. So thank you. And thank you for being here because you guys create the community. Um, so now let's assume that your nervous system is regulated and we have made peace with the fact that we're humans, which is basically all this is. And now we're like, okay, well, what would be a high value communication I could have with myself? Like, could I get strategic around this? Would I even want to? So let's do it just for demonstration sake, if you don't mind ice cream. Sure. So if you could think, if you could communicate with yourself in a different way, something that was, I don't know, felt better or felt more empowered or felt um, exciting or fun or whatever, what would that be? So when I have been slipping into that thought, I'm mostly I'm just reminding myself, this is the normal ebb and flow of life and that that ebb and flow of life is normal. So like you're not supposed to be busy at 110% all the time. Um, But I guess other thoughts, other positive thoughts I've had are just reminding myself sort of, I'm actually busy, plenty busy overall, or I have, there is, there's more than enough um, cases to go around or there's a really, I, yeah, I think it's more, I'm just reminding myself of truth. Really? Okay. Just remember a couple of weeks ago, really? It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is a super good point. The human brain likes to solve puzzles. It also likes to be right all the time. And so if it has a puzzle that it figures out, like, it's like, oh, okay, well, you're clearly not doing enough. Um, Okay, that's the answer. I solved the puzzle. Now I'm going to reinforce that with all the evidence around me that I can find to reinforce the that statement that you have in your brain. So the reticular activating system, you guys have probably learned about this in med school, where it's the thing where, like, if you think about, say, a red Subaru, and you bring that into the into your mind, all of a sudden you start seeing red Subarus all over the place. It's like changing out a filter. So when we have that filter on that is like, I'm not good enough filter, or I'm not doing enough filter, you'll find all the evidence to keep proving that you're not good enough. So it takes intention to see the truth. Because the I'm not good enough is not the truth. And in fact, you can like look at it and be like, well, where the hell did that come from? Like, why would I equate seven cases to not doing enough? Like on what planet did that become a rule that that equals me not doing enough? So then you have to be like, oh, okay, maybe that's not true. I wonder what is true or where did that come from? My guess is mm-hmm. it came from the way women are socialized. We all internalize this conditioning around our worth and we've all been conditioned, not all, I'm sorry about that statement, but it's most of us have been conditioned to get our validation from external sources and to be reassured that we're worth taking up air and space as long as we're producing something like a baby or milk or a baby or um, a clean house, food, uh, the office Christmas party, all the gifts for the staff. Like we're conditioned that producing and doing all of that is the thing that makes us worthwhile, which is a lie. Mm -hmm. Every single person is worthwhile because they exist. We don't um, often have the opportunity to have an internal structure for validation of just like thinking we're awesome because we live. Mm. So if you were a person who just thought she was awesome because you had a pulse, I call it the breath and the beat. Just because you have a breath and a beat, I'm awesome unconditionally. Like if we believed that, would we give a flying F if we have seven cases? No. no. It wouldn't matter. It would, just very be, good point. it would just be data. It would just be like, oh, okay, well, this week I have seven cases. Last week I had a thousand. 
then then there's no story around what it means. It just means that sometimes there's seven cases and sometimes there's a different number of cases. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. So anyway, I'm going to circle back now about you saying these really wise words of like, you've got to on purpose look for the truth. And one of the ways we can look for the truth is just to expand out from that really narrow view when your reticular activating system is only wanting to see red Subarus, it's like, oh, but look, there's a blue Toyota over there. And look, there's a white Tesla. And you start to see a bigger, broader picture. But you have to do that on purpose. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like forever. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I like that analogy that that's very relatable because we've all done that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So now let's assume that you believe truly in your deepest DNA that because you have the breath and the beat, you are worthy of taking up space and just existing. Mm-hmm. And we have this C Like, what a more strategic position to be in, to be like, oh, I could just choose to think anything I want about this now. Mm -hmm. So if you could choose anything on purpose, what would it be? Oh, that question is always so hard to me. I... hmm. Yeah, because we're not trained to be dreamers at all. Yeah. We're trained to follow algorithms. We're trained to look for bad things. Um, so this also takes a little bit of practice, just like stepping outside of the algorithm and just be like, oh, well, I could do whatever I wanted. What does, hmm, this is an opportunity. So this requires also asking your brain another question. And we may not come up with the answer right now, but I'm super glad we're doing this exercise because when people are doing this for their self-coaching, you can set your brain on a really juicy question and then just see what it comes up with. It's yeah. so fun. It's like, oh, maybe I'll get a pedicure or, oh, maybe I'll read a book about hernias or maybe I'll... I don't know, like there's a gazillion things that you could set your mind to if seven cases wasn't a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one that I keep, I'm playing with different wording of it, but the mm-hmm. one I keep coming back to is the same heart, regardless of how I word it, is something along the lines of, I am worthy regardless of how busy I am. Or, yeah. Um, I'm awesome, regardless of how busy I am, (laughs) or, you know, I'm valuable, regardless of how busy I am, that really, there's no, there doesn't need to be any connection Mm -hmm. between numbers and worth, like you said. And, and I think that that is an important thought that leads to a lot more power. There you go. Okay, so let's write that one down. I'm awesome. No matter what. Especially the number of cases I have. Now, here's the important thing to remember, too, because we don't practice this. Um, I mean, we do because we're in room one. But most of the time, people have not been invited to practice this. And so it might seem really, really weird. And you're like, oh, that does not that does not land for me. That seems stupid. Um, like your brain will just want to shoot it down, shoot it down, shoot it down. And that's okay. Cause the point is, is that you just have to practice because what we're doing now is making new brain connections. We're making new associations. We're dissolving other associations, creating new associations, which are literally like neurons linking up in your brain. So even though it, may feel kind of funny for people to do this in the beginning, it gets easier over time. So for now, it's like, well, I'm awesome no matter what. Or it's like, oh, this is another opportunity to practice 
my awesomeness, no matter what, or these cases are completely irrelevant to who I am at my core. Like there are a number of different ways that you could think about it and keep practicing that. And what we're doing in, in practicing those things is communicating with ourselves with so much love and compassion and power, because think about it. Like if we're ever really going to do anything super powerful, wouldn't it be so much better to be in sort of like this high vibration, like this, um, I mean, the feeling from the first one was discouraged, I think. Yeah. So how strategic can anybody be truly when they're discouraged? So even if, even if your goal is to build more cases per week, like let's just say you have that goal just because like you could just have that goal for whatever reason you want, but wouldn't it be way more likely to build that, like reach that goal from thinking you're awesome rather than feeling discouraged and thinking you're not good enough. Absolutely. And the whole experience of it is going to be so much better. Anyway, I love this so much. I could just go on and on. So when you think the thought I'm awesome, no matter what, especially the number of cases, like there's really irrelevant. Um, how, how do you feel when you think that thought? I feel calmly confident. Yeah. Okay. And then when you feel calmly confident, what do you do? Honestly, I do other things with my time. (laughs) Yeah. Probably spend time with my family and uh, read a novel and enjoy the rest of my life. Okay. So you do other things, enjoy your family. Um, you don't beat yourself up. I think it would, it just, when I'm in that headspace, it lets me enjoy my job and enjoy my free time. Whereas when I'm in the other headspace, I'm not really enjoying either one because it's just stress, you know? That's exactly right. That's a really great point. Um, that point works for rest also. You know how when we were resting, and I say that in air quotes, but the entire time we're resting, we're just beating the shit out of ourselves about all the stuff we're supposed to be doing. So we're not really resting. <laughs> it It's this too. It's like, oh, well, you're just beating yourself up the whole time. So you don't enjoy your free time or the time you're supposed to be working because like it's a problem. But anyway, um. Okay, so when you then show up and be this person who does other things with their time and enjoys their family and doesn't beat themselves up and really like has high level thinking, like, you know, not gossip thoughts, but high level thinking, um, the result is. Yeah, I think I would show up more positively and confidently and in control for everybody at at work and outside of work. Yeah. And the people are like, I want to send her all my patients. She seems awesome. Because guess what? You are awesome. Um, Yeah. So then basically you live now as awesome, like believing in it, you live it. Everything's awesome. It's just like the Lego thing. I love this. And so then we can see how now that the result that you create comes directly from that thinking. Um, thank you, ice cream. That was so good. I really appreciate you bringing that up. So this is. Oh, thank model. you. That was helpful. Yeah. And I'm starting to call this the heroic model. Because the first model we use, we call the default model or the unintentional model. But it's like the icky one, right? Like who wants to live like that? Even though it's normal, it's totally fine. Like it's not a problem. But what we really want is to live an amazing life. Is it it, like, is that too much to ask? I don't think so. 
So I think this one's the heroic one where we're like, it takes work to do this. It takes work, but it's worth it. And this makes us grow and kind of step out of our comfort zone of our old pathways, our old brain pathways. So the brain doesn't want to do it. So this has, this just requires like going out there and just kind of like slaying dragons proverbially so that you can grow and, you know, kind of like be the hero of your own journey. I hope that makes sense. I'm getting really out there now. (laughs) Um, Okay. So ice cream, thank you so much. I will. Ask, we have time for more. Okay, cool. Here's Moana. Here we go. Hi, Moana. Hello. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Just let me know if there's too much ambient noise. I'm actually finishing walking home. So if it's, if it's loud, just let me know. Um, but I'll be home in like two minutes. So no worries. Tell us what you got. So, um, Mainly kind of talking about work life spilling over into kind of private slash personal life, mm-hmm. um, specifically with regards to like stressors and how it then affects um, life at home and yeah. feeling like my reserves are depleted so that when I'm home, um, I don't have the capacity to deal with kind of more minor issues at home that I normally would be better at handling. And this largely ends up kind of um, uh, affecting how much tolerance I have for typical five-year-old behavior. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so good and so relatable do you guys notice it happens in humans and it also happens in other parts of nature where the energies, um, it's like we follow the strongest energy and the energy can bring things way down or they can bring things way up and you can kind of sense it, right? Like you can sense when somebody else is in a terrible mood. Um, it's such a bummer to be around those people. And conversely, uh, you can sense when people are like calm and confident and happy and joyful. And um, so I think that this question that you're posing is a little bit of like an energy discussion around kind of like the what we emit um, and also a little bit of a boundary question. So I wonder what's more important to you, like. Because the answer here is just to make boundaries, I think. What do you think the answer yeah, is? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's so much a boundary thing in terms of that I, you know, am, am too busy at work or something like that. I think mm-hmm. it's just more, um, in my, in my work, a lot of my patients do tend to have a lot of like anxiety and depression kind of that goes along with what's going on with them and why I'm seeing them. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is that that is depleting just in general, like seeing those all day. Um, And also the type of surgeries that I do, all of our surgeries are reasonably high stakes, um, but ours are fairly high stakes. And when there are complications, they're particularly bad complications. So I think all those Mm -hmm. things, Okay. Take I think an emotional toll. I yeah. am understanding more. It's not that it's like you're answering phone calls at night. It's more of that. No. You, it's more of the emotional part. So thank you for clarifying. Yes. So let's yes. set your, let's set your default model up. So the circumstances like patients have, um, problems, we'll just say like surgical yes. or emotional or whatever. Yes. And then they, uh, Patients have complications also. Yes. Okay. And so what, if we know that you're, you know, you bring it home. Yes. And that's an action. 
what are you thinking and feeling? Like, what's the feeling? We can work. We're going to show an example of how we can work retrograde because sometimes we are not really sure what we're thinking, but we know what we're doing. So if you're noticing, so let's set up all your actions first. So you're bringing it home and what paint the picture of like how you are at home when that comes, you know, when you're having a day like that. I think, yeah, um, it can vary a bit. Sometimes it can be depleted. Sometimes it can be your sometimes a little mix of both okay what was the second thing you said you said depleted and then those are the most the most common ones irritable irritable okay yeah okay let's just pick one uh i would say depleted is probably the most the most relevant okay depleted now this is super interesting okay I'm thinking about the difference between feeling depleted, like exhaustion, right? That could also be a circumstance. Like you could actually factually be depleted of energy. And I'm wondering what would be a more useful way to examine this. Because it's almost as if we could imagine, you know, what you look like going home. I would say it's probably more emotional than, yeah. Okay. So we'll yeah, I'd say it's first. usually more emotional than physical, but I do think that when you're emotionally depleted, you tend, it, it saps your physical energy to some degree. Yeah. So what's the thought that's causing you to feel depleted? I mean, I'm sure there's more than one, but let's just pick one. Yeah, I think it's that I just can't handle. Uh, mm. I I can't handle any more emotional energy right now. Honestly, it is is typically kind of the thought process. Okay. Okay. And then you feel depleted and then you come home and what do you do? Um, I think I then tend to actually, I think then that leads to either being irritable or withdrawn. Okay. So So. you, so you, um, maybe withdraw, um, oops, I can't spell. Or communicate with your family irritably. <laughs> yes. Um, what else? I think going along with being irritable, I, I get more frustrated. Okay, so like, especially with a five-year-old, so now we can have (laughs) another, like, I call this spinning up, where it's like we start to feed off each other. I have some experience with this. You know, like, I'll spin up, and then my kid spins up, and then that spins me up more, and then she gets more spun up, and it's just like a thing. So then I'll put spin up with kid. Yes. Okay. So basically all of this just contributes to, to, um, you know, if you're thinking like, I just can't handle any more emotional energy. And so you feel depleted. And so then you come home and you're withdrawing and which is probably not a bad thing actually, because you probably need it. I think that's actually sometimes a little more helpful than when I try to engage, but then become more irritable. Yeah. the withdrawing is is probably preferable, but it's but the problem is is that then sometimes uh, you know that kind of worsens the the mom guilt. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, there definitely so is some mom guilt in there. Your internal wisdom just came 
spouting out because that's the thing, right? Like our emotions are so amazing. So I use this fever analogy. Our emotions are like fevers. If you have a patient that comes to you and with a fever, you're, you don't say to them, well, stop having a fever. You don't do that. Like we start investigating. What does this mean? What is this fever trying to tell me about what's going on here? So you start to ask questions about it so you can figure out what the problem is. Emotions are the same way. They signal to us something. And when you're depleted, your body is crying out to you that it needs something. Right? Like what does, what does your body need? Maybe your body needs quiet. Maybe your body needs food. Maybe it needs some Netflix. Maybe it needs, um, just some sleep. I don't know. Like, but it needs something because it feels depleted. It's like, fill me up now. So then we withdraw, which actually is probably something that is useful to do. But because we are who we are, we make that mean that we're not good in some other way. We make it mean we're not a good parent. We feel guilty then. That's a new model. So now we're like, I'm not a good parent because I'm putting my needs in front of somebody else's needs. And then you feel guilty. And then from that feeling, the spinning out comes in your brain of like, I suck so bad. You know, I, it, I don't even know. I'm like verklempt. I'm so excited about it. (laughs) We see how these things like piggyback on each other. So while withdrawing might be something really good and healthy to do, it ends up leading you down another rabbit hole of just having really low level communication with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then sticking with the other things with the irritability part, like that's where our energy then is like driving other people's energy and we're feeding off of each other. Like yeah. geographic. none of this is comfortable. And then the result is, is you lose more energy right? Like it's more depleting. Okay. This is so good. And I'm happy that you brought it up now. Like what would be a win here? Like what would be the best case (laughs) scenario? Um, I think because the, the thing is, is that you know, this doesn't happen all the time. Thank goodness. It's more that I want to figure out how to wa- ride these waves when they happen. And, and it's particularly potent because, um, or, or rather it's particularly, uh, uh, applicable right now because like I had a very rough December, um, both with, you know, in terms of patient presentations, bad complication. Um, and it was really busy over the holidays, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so then I rode into the holidays, like totally with a short fuse, irritable, et cetera. And, and it ended with, you know, my, um, my daughter telling my husband, luckily, like, he's great about it. She's, she opened up to him and said, um, you know, I just feel like mommy's always yelling at me. And that just like broke my heart. Yeah. Um, but because, you know, the last week or so has been, you know, I've gotten to get away from those stressors to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to kind of work on the positive <clears throat> aspects, have more reserves. And, and so things are heading in a better direction again. And I kind of see that positivity. But it's like, how do I, how do I get through those tough times mm-hmm. without really affecting the relationship? And also, like you said, further depleting my energy. Cause then I'm just like, well, not only are things going badly at work, but things are going badly at home. <laughs> and wow. it's, it further kind of compounds everything. So yeah. I so- think if I could, I think if I could have a way to, um, to maybe not fully withdraw, but be able to remove myself from kind of any of the, uh, more emotionally draining aspects of home life that's helpful it's just 
it is hard when you have two working parents and we're both already spread really thin, you know, I, there's, and my husband also has a very stressful job. So it's, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of, you know, and, and we try to, and we try to balance each other out where if one person's more stressed, the other person tries to step up. It's just hard when we're both spread really thin and, and that happened in December. So that's just how, how, how do we go? Yeah, I, I think this is super interesting to think about because I totally agree with you. Like there are seasons and sometimes things are busier and sometimes they're not. And I mean, shoot, sometimes it feels like you're untouchable. Everything's going well. And then, and it feels effortless. And then there are other times like December, which I'm imagining was pretty rough. And yeah, so it would be so great to have a skill of riding those waves. Um, Cause that's all it is. It's a skill, but yeah. it has to be broken down into micro skills to kind of even like if we're using riding the wave analogy, you don't just like go out and ride a wave. First, you need to like buy a surfboard and then you need to get a wetsuit and then you need to put that wetsuit on and then you need to have, you know, X, Y, and Z in place to ride the wave. So it might be useful to break it down into what skills you need to have and be practicing in order to have that flexibility that you're talking about. So if the win is, is to have flexibility to ride the wave, it's going to require more than, you know, hiring a babysitter or, you know, doing, doing the things it's going to require being somebody who will allow herself to be put first. Right. And I think that's the hardest part. Because we can all do the things like we can call for the sitter and we can, you know, work out, we can work out the schedule and that sort of thing. But that doesn't change the idea that you're heaping guilt on yourself if you're not with your kid. Yeah. I think I have less, I think I actually have less guilt over, over calling in a sitter. I think I actually have less guilt about that than if I'm home and either number, I actually have less guilt over calling in a sitter than I do like, keeping more on my husband who's already stretched thin. Um, Hmm. I honestly have less guilt over, over, you know, that. Cause I, I think I am at least aware enough to know that like, it's good for a kid to have a village. And if that village includes having people that your kid also loves, like that's much better than being in a negative environment. Yeah. And so this is a really interesting thing too, to kind of explore for you is like, well, why, is it okay for a sitter, but not okay? So tell me just a little bit more about that. Like, so does that mean that if you're in the home, you think you have to be the one caring for her? No, no, not necessarily. Um, No, because I'm I'm definitely home. Some like, matter of fact, we actually both recognize that we were super, super, um, super backed up on to-dos after the holidays. And so like we got a sitter yesterday and my husband and I were both home. So So I don't have guilt over that. I have less guilt over getting a sitter. Mm. I think it's just, perhaps I need to sometimes when I'm, when I'm emotionally drained to have the mental energy to, to actually go through, go through the motions and actually, you know, get help. Cause I think sometimes when you're yeah. deep down the rabbit hole, you just don't even have the energy to help yourself. So I think that might be part of it. And and I think True. it could be a good strategy to, to make sure that we're offloading enough. Yeah. And this is really great information to have. So now you're able to say, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, actually I'm totally fine with having somebody here or being actually in my home while somebody else is entertaining my child And that doesn't mean anything about me as a parent. So maybe then I already wiped it clean. Um, But we also talked about that spinning up and irritability. So then maybe another thing or an area to get skill around 
is how to um, manage yourself as far as your own nervous system when you're going to be engaging with your kid, because you are going to be defeated sometimes. Yes. So maybe there's a skill there. There are tons of things actually people can do. And this is one more really great thing we can just talk about right before the hour ends is surgeons in particular live kind of always in a stress cycle and we don't really learn ways to complete our stress cycle at the end of the day. So we wake up with this outrageous, you know, I mean, not everybody, but like, think about how violently we wake up half the time. It's like to loud stuff. And then it's like off to the races and the mornings very typically for people are not peaceful and calm. Then you get to work and it's just a complete shit show all day long. And you've got your roller skates on and all the fires are happening and the people are depressed and you're having complications and then you're coming home. And so your body has been like literally jacked all day long and you're in a stress cycle that does not have a chance to complete itself. And we just go from one stress cycle to the next day in, day out. Um, so there are tons of ways that you can just complete your stress cycle. It's super practical, actually. Just like a five-minute walk. Um grounding exercises, breathing exercises. It's all the stuff we do to kind of regulate the nervous system. But the thing that I think has been known to really like snap it out is some form of vigorous shaking. So uh, a dance, three minutes, just dancing, kind of like moving your body around like crazy, even if you don't feel like it. It's that physical signal that the stressor is done and your body is now safe and you can go on with whatever it is that you got coming next. So there can be some really practical things to mitigate some of the energy issues. I think that you're describing with your daughter and your family. Um, and then I don't know, or do you have any questions? No, I think, I think that, that's definitely helpful because obviously I, I do want to engage still a, a lot of the time, you know, obviously yeah. and it's not that I'm going to withdraw all the time. So I think having some kind of coping mechanisms and ways to um, ways to try to reset and at least replete my energy a bit so that when there are inevitable, you know, five-year-old issues, um, the typical stuff that I can kind of have some, have some grace and have some, um, have some emotional bandwidth to say, you know what, this is like normal five-year-old behavior and I don't have to react as if you're a fully grown adult because I think, you know, sometimes it's like my expectation is that she's going to behave like a totally rational adult, which is obviously not a reasonable way to think about things. Um, Especially if she's dealt with, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is she really smart? Yep. Yes. Yeah. It's these smart ones that'll get you. Yeah. They're so smart that they come out of nowhere with this, like, just behavior that seems so uncharacteristic. And then you're like, oh, wait. They're <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. She's, uh, we, I joke that she's too smart for her own good. I mean, and she totally, when she was four and I would come home, nearly every day when, when I was particularly busy at work, I would come home after like dealing with traffic for an hour and she would open the door and she would say, go back to work, mommy. And just shut the door in my face. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pushing of emotional buttons there. So, yeah. you know, there's, um, no, but when she's wonderful, she's wonderful. So yeah. Um. Something that's so cool, too, is the idea that our kids are just absorbing everything that we're doing. It doesn't even matter what we're saying most of the time. It's like they they just absorb how we're being. And she has the opportunity here to see a human model something really healthy around stress because she's never going to be free from stress either. She's a human in the world. So everything you're going through 
ends up being her school. Yes. Or how to handle herself and she'll see it and it'll be amazing. It'll be a gift that you give her. Um, Completely. Which is why I want to have as, you know, it's never going to be ideal, but I want to show her positive ways of dealing with it. And I want to model behavior as well as I can for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then finally, before we sign off, let me make one other recommendation because it sounds like your flavor of surgery just happens to be a little bit on the more intense side. Um, And there's a book it's called. um, Oh my gosh. I'll have to post it, but it's about um, it's called trauma stewardship, trauma stewardship. And it's around the idea that caregivers who are dealing with particularly stressful and traumatic, whether it's like little T trauma, big T trauma things on a daily basis, they, they need care too. And it's a book all about how to care for yourself when you're the one who is trying to steward other people through their traumatic existence or living which I, it sounds like you might benefit from that. It's an awesome book. It is awesome. It has so many resources around how to take care of yourself, like practically and on a more ephemeral level. All right. Yeah, that sounds, I'll look that up. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Trauma stewardship. Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. That was awesome. We'll see you next time. Have a good rest of your night. Thank you. Mm-hmm.